0: the Signal Fire series. Just as fire can be set as a signal that can be seen from a distance for others to find their way, so too can our stories be a beacon for those who need a little inspiration to get unstuck or a little courage to take a different path. Today we are talking about the importance of diverse children's books and continuing to explore what it takes to leave the corporate world and create your own business following such a passion. I'm Keshni Washington, I am a writer Ariel Mendez is my guest today. She's an author, illustrator, and publisher of diverse children's picture books. Her debut picture book, Fear and a Friend, was launched on Kickstarter and selected as a Kickstarter project we love. Ariel is a member of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, where she has presented on self-publishing and book marketing, and she also teaches classes at the Writer's Center DC. Welcome, Ariel.
1: Thank you, Keshni. I'm really excited to be here uh, and to talk with you today.
0: It's so great to have you. So your professional life was in public policy and international studies, and then everything changed. You became a stay-at-home mom, and then in 2019 as well with two little kids, you had started your own publishing company. Tell us a little bit about how you changed just about everything in your life.
1: Yeah, sure. So I don't think any change happens overnight. You know, there's that comparison to a ship where it's one turn at a time to change the direction of the ship. It's not, you can't just like 180. In 2014, yes, I was working in public policy, um, studying at American University. When I got married and I had my first son, I decided I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and and it was fulfilling, but I still had this desire to do something, whether it was a creative project or something professional, but not just... uh, it just did not satisfy me the way I thought being a stay-at-home mom would. So I turned to children's literature because it had always been a passion of mine, even back in college. I'd be writing these picture book manuscripts. So I came back to that when I was a stay-at-home mom. Um, I didn't do anything with those manuscripts until my son was, I think, four years old. So that also shows another gap of, from between the workforce to embracing creativity to taking that creativity and turning that into a more a business venture, I would say.
0: So we went Present when you had your children, that you actually had the idea for your first book, *Fear and a Friend*. You had felt the call earlier in your life,
1: definitely. So I studied abroad when I was in college. It was my first time going abroad. I went to Latin America. Now I'm Latina, so for me, it it was something I always felt curious about. It was something I always wanted to connect to. I'm from Colombia. I didn't travel to Colombia. I traveled to Ecuador, but it, you know, it felt it felt very much the same. Like I, I had the sense of like expectation of what culture would be like, that it it wouldn't be too different from what I experienced growing up as a Colombian-American. So while I was there traveling around, I had this little teddy bear with me, and it became kind of like this photo journal project to send pictures back home with this bear. And I realized that this bear had seen more of the world than I had as a child, so that was kind of the inception of Fear and Friend, which is based on this boy and this bear that travel, and at the end he realizes this bear is a bridge to friendship I guess with other cultures sometimes it's hard to connect with people you don't know but some things do connect us whether it's friendship whether it's kindness even just laughter there are things that connect us in this book it's the teddy bear so that was the inception of the idea but I was 18 when that happened but I just left that project alone because I was studying international relations and I was going down a public policy route at the time so I, I didn't come back to it or even really manuscript writing until I was in grad school so again before kids then I had kids and I started dabbling again and I, then I started taking myself
0: seriously. There was something always inside you, some secret jewels buried that, that really wanted to come out with that first story being written even before you had kids. It's very interesting. And it's really beautiful about connection. A simple children's story like that could really help teach little kids. It's a beautiful um, story to put out there. You had to pivot quite a bit. You had to teach yourself how to write and how to illustrate. How did you even get started? Did you have a mentor? Did you know where to begin?
1: That is a fun question. In the moment, I remember being overwhelmed and thinking, I don't even know where to start. I want to be traditionally published, but I know that's a very difficult route. Uh, When I was 18, I'm sorry, I had already started querying agents, and I didn't get any feedback. When I was in grad school, I queried agents, and it was a step up. Finally, they were responding personalized rejections, and I'm like, oh, this is somewhere in the world and then when this time I was a mom you know I had my my two kiddos at home I said I want to take this seriously but I want to see what is best self-publishing or traditional publishing so at this point it's when I joined the Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators because I knew the importance of finding your people finding community people that can either mentor you based off of their experiences or who are in the trenches right there with you Um, So I connected with traditionally published authors. Some that were very reputable, very successful with traditional publishing. I got to listen to their frustrations with the industry, their struggles in the process. Some of them took them five to 10 years just to publish their first book. Was I, you know, was I willing to wait that long or did I want this book to be more experimental? Just get started, get going instead of waiting the 10 years. Because I know myself and I know that working for 10 years towards a goal could be demoralizing. And I, I thought I would be more likely to give up if it took this long than to continue. So what would be something, the fastest win, the easiest win that'll kind of fuel my fire to keep going? So that's when I explored self-publishing. And I spoke to other self-published authors and essentially compared the frustrations, (laughs) the level of frustrations between both paths. I definitely saw that a lot of the frustrations that traditional publishers were resonating. They were all saying essentially the same thing, whether it was marketing, whether it was advances, whether it was the time it took to even get published. It seemed that self-publishing was the solution, didn't seem like it was another problem. The only downside is that it's a bit stigmatized within the traditional publishing space. So was I willing to deal with that, but to have the other win? So again, it was just weighing the pros and cons. I decided to go the self-publishing route and use that almost as self-experimentation in the sense of what does it take to go through an editing process? What does it take to even make a book, illustrating, book cover, jacket copy, all of these things, and then marketing. So I decided to use a Kickstarter campaign, not just to raise funds, but to also as a book launch, pre-launch marketing effort. So it was successful, the Kickstarter was selected as a project we love. I did a lot of research not just on the bookmaking side for self-publishing, but also on the Kickstarter and funding side to understand what's it going to take to run a successful campaign and beyond that, what's it gonna take to get noticed by Kickstarter to be selected as a project we love? So both those goals were achieved. It was a successful Kickstarter, but honestly my aim in everything was like bare minimum, what's it gonna take to get going? so it was not the biggest funding amount that you'll see on Kickstarter publishing projects. But from that, I was able to go from one book to the next. From there, I worked with Heather Burris on her book, Hair Like Me, um, which was also Kickstarted. And then right now I'm working on another book with an author. She's a lawyer. She's from Zimbabwe. It's called The First first shown in the Belle words so those are the two native languages of Zimbabwe so I'm working to illustrate that and that was also kickstarted. so for me it's it's amazing to see how one action creates a ripple effect and how women or even professionals and moms so many people want to be creative but they're also very serious about it and they're willing to be not just professional but treat it like a business and take it that extra step from just making a manuscript to pursuing it as if it were a business venture
0: so you don't need to you know, get past the traditional gatekeepers in publishing, and it, which can be a really long and difficult journey of many years. But if you believe in something, you can actually get it out there through self-publishing and get it into the hands of, of people, of children who need to see these books. And secondly, I think it's pretty cool that you don't need a lot of money of your own to get started. What you're saying is that through the Kickstarter, you were able to raise all the funds you needed, correct? You didn't have a big amount of capital to put into it.
1: Correct. So I had spoken with self-published authors who had self-funded, and they're the ones that essentially taught me or mentored me through marketing, saying this is how you're gonna make a return on investment. On my end, I said, well, I don't want to have any financial stake of my own. I don't want to put, I don't want to risk it. What if I can't, like the worst case scenario is making a loss. I'd be happy even with profit neutral. So that's when I turned to Kickstarter and I said, well, it's essentially a form of pre-sales. So it's not GoFundMe where people are donating money. They're ordering your book in advance. So I thought that was a viable solution. It's actually a really great solution for the publishing industry.
0: That's excellent. Also, going back to what you said is there were people who were willing to mentor you, people you're willing to find at the Children's Book Writers and Illustrators Society. That's great because there's just about nothing out there that hasn't been done before so we just have to seek them out the society seems like a good place to start and finding your tribe there as you mentioned it always seems even with some of my previous conversations with runners there is a tribe out there for you to find and connect with them and there will be somebody willing to teach you how to get started if you've never done this before and you want to figure it out.
1: And what I found is that the writing community at large is just very generous. Like it's not just within the children's publishing space. As, as you had said, I'm involved at the Writing Writer Center in, in D.C. Um, and it's the same thing. They're just so generous to share not just their knowledge bank, but their platforms even with up-and-coming writers and authors. So that's been a really great thing to be a part of.
0: That's lovely. That's community. A community of people willing to support each other out there in a space where, like we said, the traditional gatekeepers allow very few in the door. There must have been moments or thoughts that were helpful to you and moments or thoughts that were not so helpful. What was one of the most challenging moments? Was there something pivotal that was a challenging moment that changed everything for you.
1: Sure. So, I would say good moments and bad moments, right? Mm-hmm. A good moment was completing that Kickstarter. It was I can do this. So that was fuel in the fire. Fulfilling the orders, it was like an it was almost like a, ro- a roller coaster where I go from a high to a low because it was just a lot of work. So I think the biggest challenge is balancing it with personal life. In terms of my priorities, my priorities is always to be a mom first because I'm I'm a stay-at-home mom. So So right now, for instance, that looks like homeschooling my kids amidst um, coronavirus shutdowns. At the time, my son was still a preschooler. So I had him most of the time when he wasn't in preschool. He was in like um, only certain days at school. And plus the infant I had too. So the biggest challenge is always balancing. But I'm learning to embrace that, not fight it. I know looking back, even now, it's still a constant battle of internal struggle, like you were saying, of. Hiding that feeling that I want to be somewhere or want to be doing something, but I have to do this right now. And I find that the best solution to that is just be present. Be where your feet are, essentially. Mm-hmm. And if my feet are here with my kids and I'm here with my just my family, then I'm going to be here mentally, not checking my emails on my phone. But when I'm going to be working, I, I almost have to put a disclaimer and like a sign on my head or a hat or something. Kids, I'm working, so don't come, mommy, 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 mommy. <laughs> Don't come to call me while I'm working, or while I'm taking this phone call, or while I'm doing, you know, any any work or assignment or project. So I think that that's been the biggest struggle overall on this journey.
0: I totally get it. I really applaud many of my friends who are experiencing the same thing. Many of my family who are basically struggling to balance that switch between working and having the kids around. And I think what you're saying is an excellent piece of advice to to focus where your feet are. That's wonderful.
1: (laughs) Can I share one more thought? Yes. Okay, so the next highlight moment, I would say, after I published the book, I noticed that friends and the friends were almost referring me to their friends for publishing, self-publishing, Kickstarter insights, like, you did it, how can I do it too? So I decided I wanted to instruct, but I didn't know how to go about it. I wanted to teach classes. So this is when I went to a friend who has traditionally published. I had met through SCBWI, Society of Children's Books, Writers, and Illustrators, and I asked him, how are you doing this? How are you speaking at conferences? How are you teaching at the writers? How are you doing all of these things beyond your books? And he told me, I just ask. Um. And that was, I felt like somebody slapped me on the head with a brick. like, Like, why didn't I think of that? So I went and I asked the Writer Center, and they approved the class, I guess, to teach self-publishing specifically for children's books. So that's how I started teaching classes, and then they referred me to NIH, National Institute of Health, the children's in there, so I'm teaching classes there and then at schools. So that's how that teaching and instructing started, but it taught me a really big lesson, the power of the ask, because I was definitely the person that kind of waited for permission instead of just going, going. So now I am definitely more proactive and just kind of take it into my own hands.
0: I love that. I once heard from a pretty famous writer, she was talking about how we need somebody to give us permission. We're so used to this, having a piece of paper that validates that it's okay for us to be X, Y, or Z get a degree. So it validates that we are X, Y, Z, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever. But for creative things, a lot of us also feel this kind of inadequacy or this imposter syndrome because we don't feel like we have permission to do these things. And her advice was go on your computer, open up wood, make yourself a beautiful certificate that says, I am a children's writer or I am a writer and print it out and decorate it and stick it on your wall. And basically there's your permission, you know, go ahead and do it after that. So yeah. So just asking and giving ourselves permission to be brave and to put out what our calling is into the world. I think that's excellent piece of advice.
1: Exactly.
0: Given the recent events in the USA, the murder of George Floyd and the protests that were sparked thereafter nationwide and around the world, there's a lot of attention at the moment around the power of representation. Mm -hmm. To me, it means seeing others like yourself, other minorities or underrepresented people who look or sound like you in books, in comic books, in TV, that you can relate to and that can teach and inspire you. You're focused not just on children's books, but specifically on diverse children's books. Can you tell us a bit about what that means to you? Why is it important?
1: Sure. So I'll start with a personal anecdote, I guess. Growing up, I was homeschooled in elementary school. So I spent a lot of time with books. I'm one of five kids. So if, it w- if I wasn't with my brothers and sisters, I was in a book. And a lot of the books, I just didn't see people like me, honestly. I didn't see number one Latinos, especially Latina girls. So I didn't see that until high school when I was reading Cien Años de Soledad, Isabel Allende, and you know more adult books, I would say, written by Hispanic authors. As an adult, I always wondered why did it take so long for me to see someone like me, not just in the books, but actually writing them, winning awards for them, and being, you know, on a, on a global scale. And then me, just because I'm a curious person, I dig into the authors themselves and kind of get a sense for their journey and seeing that it's it's hard. It's hard to get published no matter what. But especially in the U.S., it's harder if you're a person of color. And there are so many reasons for that. Racism in the United States, a lot of it is systemic. And we see that with racial justice, but we see that in publishing too. So we see within specifically children's publishing, because like I, I genuinely care so much about children, children's books and children's literature. You're more likely to see an animal in a children's book than you are to see a child of color or a diverse background in a children's book. And the publishing industry at large, only 5% of people in the publishing industry, whether you're a published author, or if you're even working for, the, or for publishing, only 5% are people of color. Uh, 2% are Latinos. My question always goes to why. Why is built this way? And if you see a problem, where's the solution? So I always defer to solutions. I don't know if it's a personality trait or what, but for me, it almost becomes overwhelming when you think of the system at large. All you can think of is what can you change, and that's your circle. So for me, it started with self-publishing, and I got so encouraged when I see other authors and other writers and other moms and other professionals that want to do it too. So the project Hair Like Me, it's a book about natural hair. And even illustrating that project, I remember having conversations with Heather as to what is a natural hair beauty routine? How do you take care of your hair at night? What does it look like after you wash it? And these are things I wouldn't have known because my hair is long and straight. So to me, it's just a testament as number one, conversation. Number two, relationship. Number three, Change. be the change you want to see, and being a part of a project that is reaching children that don't have this book in and of themselves because you're not finding it in traditional publishing. The other example is First Shonen de Belle Words. A traditional publisher is gonna say this is such a niche market, we don't know how many Zimbabwean nationals are interested in this, or what if they're not a Zimbabwean national? What if it's just a family here that wants to learn about another culture? These are projects that the traditional publishing space would say there's not enough of commercial
0: gain <laughs> Exactly. Yeah.
1: Commercial gain for this book. And this is why I loved Kickstarter. I just recently found out that last year Kickstarter ran its first, I guess, conference on how Kickstarter is the solution to publishing. And as I, I, was, I was reading through it, I thought this is, this is true because the traditional publishing model is made up in a way that it's just, it's even harder for someone of color to break into the industry. Number one, even just trying to get connections, the number one piece of advice that I heard from traditional published authors was go to a conference and meet an agent there conferences cost money conferences take time and for something for someone in need for someone who might not have the means to do it that's already out of our reach so that that was, was just an example from my own even self-publishing the book I didn't have the means to self-fund it So Kickstarter was my solution to that. And there's so many, so many other various reasons. Advances are even lower for people of color. I I can go on and on (laughs) about the problems with traditional publishing.
0: I love the solution orientation. I love that there's a way to do it that's accessible to everyone out there. One of my best friends is Zimbabwean actually, so I'm very excited. He has two little daughters. So as soon as your book comes out, let me know, I'm getting it in his hands.
1: Okay, great. I'm finishing it this month, so I'll I'll send you that the dates on its release.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I, I love the fact that there are solutions and there is a way to break through without, like we said, any of these gatekeepers having to hold the door open for you. Though I hope with the recent education that's happening and awareness that's happening more doors will be opened to people who are different and have books that have people who are different in them, stories that need to be told. But I love that we can do it anyway.
1: It matters. Literacy, it matters a lot, Geshni. There is a direct correlation between literacy rates and prison rates. I don't know if you knew that, specifically in the Midwest, that tie their prison capacity to literacy rates in elementary school. So they're planning in advance based on current literacy rates. It matters that you see, you're reading to your children books that they can see themselves in and see a future for themselves in a positive way. Second, with traditional publishing, it's essentially setting the agenda for schools, for libraries, even the media, because a lot of. Books and movies and TVs and programs are licensed essentially from books, right? Media rights are purchased from books. Is setting the agenda as to what's good, what makes good literature, what makes a good story. And if we're excluded from that, what does that say?
0: That's a very interesting cycle. There's a lot of connections there I didn't even realize. So writing your children's book story about somebody who looks like you could actually have this huge ripple effect, as you're saying, from elementary school. Programming almost through to what's produced in in Hollywood projects. That's so interesting. So the ripple effects of getting more diverse books out there are huge, actually.
1: They are, and the beautiful thing about books is that you don't know who the end reader is. Yes. So I will never know who is reading my book unless they come and tell me directly, which most people aren't. I'm. Good. I don't think I've written a letter to any of the authors I've read, unless I've met them in person. So it's almost as, as a writer and as an author, just a measure of faith. You have to believe that it's going to have a positive impact in somebody else's life. Or why else do it?
0: I believe the exact same thing. I remember being a little kid who loved books in the southern tip of Africa and just consuming as many books as I could. When I lived there, I never conceived that, you know, these were real people out there. They were just these books that I loved and they made an impression on me far away, miles away from where they were written, miles away from whoever the author thought might be reading their book. I don't think they imagined that Isaac Asimov or I was a bit of a sci-fi junkie or Austin Scott Codd imagined me. So I do think there's huge power in, in our stories and putting stories out there. When I moved here, I discovered Octavia E. Butler and I'd never heard of her. Partially, probably because of apartheid time censorship. So our books were censored when I was growing up. But being a science fiction junkie, I can't believe I I never heard of this amazing African-American science fiction woman writer whose books speak to me in a way that those other writers could never do because she has this kind of way of connecting it to Africa too. And I feel so remiss that I didn't have any exposure to that as a kid. But I I definitely am a bit of an advocate for uh, more African-American science fiction books being given to children out there too. I mean, for young people like me, portrayals of minorities in the media and in books not only affect how others see them, but it affects how you see yourself. And it sends a message that everybody has a place in this world and that your story has a value So I really applaud the work that you've been doing, and I totally agree with everything you just said about the importance of this diverse book ecosystem.
1: Like what you said, it matters. You matter and you have value, and when you see someone that reflects you, it echoes that. And when you don't, it echoes the opposite.
0: Exactly. Exactly. There was a norm for me that I observed that, you know, did not fit anybody in my community. And growing up in the situation I did, it was obviously extreme segregation. But on TV, I never saw anybody who didn't look um, a certain way. So whatever TV show it was, whatever beauty pageant it was, whatever cartoon was on TV, only reflected white apartheid South Africa. I thought it was normal and I never understood the impact that that had on my own psychology until I I grew up and discovered other writers and other TV shows and other books out there that I could actually relate to and resonate with. It matters. Okay, switching to something a little lighter. (laughs) Do you have a favorite children's book or something that stood out to you, a favorite children's book that for your kids?
1: Sure. So I have personal favorites, but then of course there are my kids' favorites. So this one is called Just Ask. I know we were talking about Just Just Ask. So of course this resonates with me. Excellent. But even though, because yeah. so, um, my background, public policy, I studied at AU for a master's in public policy. And one of my professors was a clerk for Justice Sonia Sotomayor. This book is written by Sotomayor, um, illustrated by Rafael Lopez. So uh, this very famous illustrator, graphic designer, has worked on many political campaigns like Obama's. He illustrates children's books too. So to me, again, I wish I had seen these things as a child. I would have maybe embraced my creative side a little more. But now as an adult, it's meaningful. To me, it's a full circle moment where I see that almost like grad school memories are coming back but i'm seeing this powerhouse latino duo essentially making this beautiful book so that to me it's just a personal thing to me
0: and is it also teaching kids to just ask like we were talking about earlier
1: exactly so the message (laughs) i'm telling you everything about this book is just resonating with my life right now my Sons. Their favorite book is Even Superheroes Have Bad Days. Of course, two little boys. They're all things superhero. They have superhero shirts and clothing and toys up
0: to That life. is so cute.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this one teaches them how to handle their, their emotions when they're feeling frustrated or just having a bad day. In addition, the illustrator Ida Cubon is one of my favorites. I really admire her work. So me, as an illustrator, I always look for books that just visually, I love their style. It's different than mine. I don't, it's not that I want to copy it, but I just appreciate it. So I appreciate her artwork. And then lastly, we are a military family. My husband's in the United States Marine Corps. He's a second lieutenant. And this is one of the only children's books about anything Marine Corps. It's called Sergeant Reckless. It's a narrative nonfiction. So, coming into children's publishing, if you had asked me two to three years ago, I didn't know that there was a genre called narrative nonfiction where essentially she you're getting them to die. Yeah, nonfiction topics, so this one is about a horse, one of the most decorated horses in U.S. military, or animals, one of the most decorated animals in U.S. military history, but it's making it narrative, so it's making it a story, so you feel like you're reading fiction, but it's the truth, like mm-hmm. it's directly true, so that is kind of sharing some military culture and history with my boys, but also tying in, like, what is dad doing, and what what's dad's job like?
0: Oh, those are great. I'm going to throw up some links to them on my blog. They all sound pretty interesting. I love the Sergeant Reckless too. It's also pretty cute about yeah, the horse.
1: It's a good story. It's a very brave horse. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, readers will very much enjoy it.
0: Uh, th- thank you for sharing those. Reflecting on everything we've been talking about, remembering discovering Octavia E. Butley from one of her books called The Parable of the Sower, and it says something like, all that you touch, you change. And all that you change, changes you. And I think it's just so profound and beautiful. And what we've been talking about, I think it really does apply. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you did with us today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me it was a wonderful conversation i get very passionate talking about children's books and especially diversity in children's books so thank you for allowing me to share that with you and, and listeners
0: i'll throw up some links on my blog as well that's www.keshnywashington.com where you can find out more about ariel mendez who's been my guest today on the signal fire series thank you very much for listening and for giving us your time today